You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God. Now hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, build them up as his church, and send them to follow him in the world. And I'm thankful that you're here to be a part of that with us. Uh, A a couple of quick things I'm excited about that we got to get ramped up for, y'all. We got some candy to buy uh, in a couple of weeks, my man. (laughs) No one else is excited about buying candy, huh, that time of year? No one else is excited about wearing cardigans, huh? It's 50 degrees when I left my house this morning, huh? You know God's good. He's coming, coming back. So... On October 29th, so that's a few weeks from today, we have the Candy Cannon Dance Party coming up in lieu of Trunk or Treat. For obvious reasons, we didn't think gathering a few thousand people in the parking lot would be a good idea. So we're having a kids concert, band on the, on the roof, candy being launched to children from the roof. Hence the Candy Cannon Dance Party. And we need candy for that. Uh, and also Slate Run, because it's uncertain what's going to happen with uh, trick-or-treating in New Albany. Slate Run, we did this last year with them. They're doing a boo-through, which is basically like drive-through trick-or-treating at Slate Run. And they've asked if we could help them with candy. So we're going to start buying candy. Um, the church is going to buy some, and you all can contribute to the candy if you want. Uh, if you don't feel like buying candy, you can just put money in the giving plates. Or I guess we don't pass plates or buckets. We have boxes. Uh, or we have the internet. Um, or starting next week, uh, we regularly gather supplies for the community, for the neighborhood. There's a box right in the lobby that says, you, says all the things that you can give there. Um, and there'll be a special slot in that box where you can drop off candy. So we're going to start bringing candy in next week. So go for it, y'all. One quick thing I'll say, and I'm, I don't know what y'all have lived. I don't know what your childhood was like. But as a church, we're just going to covenant together not to buy any Smarties. Amen? Can we just agree with that? I'm, I'm sorry, I hurt my mom's feelings there, but we're going to be a church known for the good stuff, okay? The good stuff. Um, do I need to say any more? I don't need to say any more. Just don't buy Smarties. Chocolate stuff, now and laters, the good stuff. So look forward to seeing uh, you guys get the good stuff next week. 
All right, now tell me if you've ever had uh, something like this happen to you. Um, your day is winding down, uh, maybe you're laying in bed or you're laying on the couch and you start scrolling social media or you're, maybe you're watching the Travel Channel or something. Uh, you see a friend post a picture maybe from the Grand Canyon or maybe they went to New England. Uh, maybe you've seen one of our missionaries, they live in France and Mexico. You see them post a picture of a sunset. Y you look at it and almost without thinking, you say to whoever's with you or maybe just to yourself, you say, we should go there sometime. You ever had that kind of experience? You see somebody on their vacation or they just took their boating cruise or whatever, and you look at that and you're like, man, we should do something like that sometimes. Um, maybe you're watching a cooking show on Netflix. Maybe you're watching, my, my family been watching Zumbo's Just Desserts, and you watch a cake cooking competition. And what do you usually say after you watch the cake cooking competition show? I could go for some cake. Doesn't cake sound good? I think we should have some cake. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Bobby took his first vacation in like 37 years. Uh, he's growing, really thankful for him. And based on the internet, it looks like he ate his way through Asheville, North Carolina. Did y'all see that? Y'all see Pastor Bobby? And every night I, before bed, I had to check Pastor Bobby, his Facebook page, and I'd be like, ooh, lobster rolls, I'm on it. I should do that. I just found myself getting hungrier and hungrier every time I would see these pictures that he was posting. Well, why do people, you know, some people their whole career spent making movie trailers. Why? What happens if you see a great movie trailer? What do you say? I want to see the movie. This kind of stuff happens to us all the time. Why do, we, why do we do that? Is this just the power of suggestion? Is this just manipulative marketing? Probably in some ways that's what it is. Um, but I think at its best, this is what beauty does to us. This is what excellence does to us. It draws us in. When we see something wonderful, we are drawn in to experience it. And, um, and as anyone who has eaten a great lobster roll will tell you, a great experience changes you, draws you in, and it changes you. This morning, I want to help us see the beauty and the wonder of something that is very, very familiar. It's more familiar than a chocolate cake. It's more familiar than a movie trailer or your favorite vacation. I want to try to help us see the wonder of you and me this morning, of men and women, of humans, uh, as the scriptures told us earlier, God's sacred masterpieces, men and women made in the image of God. I want us to see who we are with greater wonder, with, with greater delight, because in seeing us, seeing one another for who we really are, we will be drawn to one another, and through each other we can experience the presence of God. And what happens here, what was just read for us in Genesis 1.26, is, is totally unique amongst all of the creation stories. This is one of the most distinct aspects of Christian theology. It's men and women made in the image of God. Uh, there's an interesting tidbit from last week that's easy to miss, but it's significant because it sets us up this week very well. Genesis 1.24, it said, Then God said, let the earth, and it's important to notice that, let the earth produce every sort of animal, every producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. I love how matter of fact it is. God said this, and that's what happened. So like the rest of Genesis 1, this tells us a great deal about God. First, God's creative energy flows from his word. Have you noticed that? He speaks and something happens. His very speech has the power of life, which that, 
That has a lifetime's worth of reflection in it. God's words have the power of life. But there's a fascinating detail at the beginning. Again, it says, let the earth produce. Let the earth produce. What I want you to see is that God's creative energy inspires the creativity of something else. Do you notice that? God's word speaks, goes forth and says, let the earth produce. God's speech is generative. Y'all say that word with me, generative. Generative. What does that mean? It means God's creativity inspires the creativity of something else. God's word generates life and generates beauty, which in turn causes something else to generate life and generate beauty. God is commanding the earth to bring forth these things. One author calls this the first Genesis moment. A Genesis moment meaning a moment that brings new life, that inspires creativity, that, that motivates action. Your friend posting on Instagram is a Genesis moment. Why? Because it inspires you to go do something. Someone posts a picture of a beautiful cookie, and what do you say? I'm going to the store, and I'm going to try a brown butter chocolate chip cookie recipe. It inspires you to action. It motivates you to do something else. God inspires the earth to bring forth animals. The power of God's generative word brings life and inspires life and creativity in something else. So he, he does the same thing earlier. In verse 9, he, he says, let the land generate plants. He does the same thing with the water and with the sky. So what's really important for us to see is that God's word, his act of creation, is generative. God's word brings forth life. He takes the formless formless earth and waters. He organizes them to bring life. God just doesn't bring life. He inspires other things to bring life. It's an absolutely beautiful revelation of who God is and what he's like. But he does something different with you and I, and we see this in verse 26. So in all of these acts of creation, he'll say, let the earth bring forth, let the waters produce, let the, the land produce. But then in verse 26, it's no longer creation bringing forth something. In verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So the, the let us make of verse 26 stands in contrast to the let the earth bring forth in verse 24. Y'all see what I'm saying? In the one hand, when we're talking about the things on the earth, God says, let the earth do this. But then when it comes to human beings, he says, hey guys, let's, uh, let us do this. You and I, the Trinity, we will do this. Rather than the earth bringing forth humans, God personally makes humans. Humans are different than the rest of creation. Initially, simply because God formed us personally himself. It's a big deal. Second, did you see that it was a group effort? Let us make human beings God's generative acts happen in the context of community, as an overflow of relationship. Let us do this together, God says amongst himself. Third, human beings are made in God's image, and it says to be like us. To be like us. Let's break this down a little bit. Genesis 1.26 is the foundation for one of the most glorious doctrines of the Christian faith. It's, you've probably heard it referred to as the doctrine of the Imago Dei. That means made in the image of God, humans as image bearers of God. 
that there are two aspects of this doctrine that are crucial for us to understand. I'm going to give you some philosophy theology words here. Uh, so they mean something in philosophy and theology that may not mean something everywhere else. So let's put our theology philosophy hats on. The two words I want you to know are economy and essence. So philosophers and theologians will talk about the essence of a thing and the economy of a thing. The essence of a thing is what it is. It, it speaks to its nature, to its worth, to its value, to its attributes. The economy of a thing speaks to what it does. You could think words like purpose or mission or activity. So when we think of the doctrine of Imago Dei, of being image bearers of God, we have to understand what that means in terms of essence and economy. In terms of essence, an image bearer of God has infinite divine value because we are made in the image of God. Every human being, and when I say every, I mean everyone, every human being reflects the essence of God. That's where our value derives from, being made in the image of God. Being, being made in the image of God reveals the wondrous complexity of who we are in our nature. So like God, we think, which is unusual. We are self-aware and, and self-reflective. Not everything in creation is self-aware. Like God, we feel, we, we have emotions. We can experience the sorrows and the joy of life. Like God the Son, we are embodied. We'll get to this in a minute, but that means we're engendered. We're physical bodies. We're not disembodied spirits floating around. We have bodies with all of these wondrous senses. Like God, you have the capacity for action, to build, to create, to make things. The Bible never reduces a human to just a brain or just a body or just an emotion. We are wonders of a unified, complex whole because in our essence, we are like God. Every human being that you encounter, I'm going to say it one more time, so I'm a little wound up about this this morning, so I'm going to say that a little bit more slowly. Every human being you encounter, every human being you encounter is a miracle handcrafted by God himself to be like God in their essence. Real practically, this means that when we talk to other human beings, when we interact with other human beings, there is no room for meanness, for harshness, for cruelty or dismissiveness. And I really want to stress, because this is something that hasn't been stressed in, in the history of this doctrine being taught, the word here for humans means humans, not men. It means humans, which means in their essence, men and women are created in the image of God, equal in value, equal in worth, equal in dignity. And each one, men and women, should be seen as precious miracles crafted personally by God. Our essence as image bearers of God speaks to our divine value and significance. We are wondrous miracles, each one of us personally handcrafted by a good, glorious God. That's the essence of what it means to be made in the image of God. As, as a church, particularly our church, we haven't talked a lot about what it means in terms of our economy 
as image bearers of God. We've, we've talked a fair amount over the years about who we are as image bearers of God, but less so what we do. Being made in the image of God isn't just about who we are in our nature, though it is. It is also about what we do as humans. So look at what God says next in verse 26. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So we are like God in our activity, in our function, when we reign over the earth and everything in it. What does it mean to be, to live as an image bearer of God, reign over the earth and everything in it? Our economy as image bearers of God speaks to our purpose. It speaks to our activity. It speaks to our work. To put it real simply, to live as someone made in the image of God means to become a generative person. It means we, we do acts of beauty and excellence that inspire others because that's what God is like. God has brought life and order to chaos. He makes us in his image and then essentially says, go do what dad just did. All these things that I just do, I want, that's what I want you guys to go do yourselves. It's, you might think of it like a family business. Um, our name speaks to our identity in the family. Maybe you're like seventh generation of the Colonel Sanders family. And you're like, who, who am I? I'm part of the Sanders family. And to be part of the Sanders family means you're in the chicken business, right? That's, it's tied to who we are and what we do. That's the economy. Rain is a word that has some baggage associated to it. And I want you to try to think about where God is saying this to Adam and Eve. When he's speaking, if rain is the family of business, uh, is the family business, uh, remember, he's talking to humans in a garden after showing them plants and animals and birds and fish. We need to think of this word rain in the context of a garden. Reigning over a garden sounds a lot different than reigning over a foreign country. Amen? You, can you feel the difference there? You understand what I'm saying? When you think of reigning over a garden, it, it brings to mind the idea of cultivating it, uh, of stewarding it, of caring for it. What does a reined-in garden look like? It's beautiful. You, you ever walk by someone's house in, in this neighborhood and, and you see maybe a beautiful hydrangea bush or you can tell they've got gorgeous tomatoes back there and there's part of you that says, like, ooh, I want to go walk in there. I want to go walk and, and look around. A, a beautiful, a reined-in garden invites us in. It's, it's abundant in life. It's, it's cultivated. So what do image bearers of God do? What is our economy? We bring beauty to ugliness. We steward the world and everything in it. Like God, we don't look at people, places, or things as objects to consume, but rather as gifts to cultivate. Can you see the difference? We don't look at everything around us, be it something in nature, be it in, like, I was reading, if you guys buy that Eugene Peterson book, he goes on a glorious rant in there about how much he doesn't like the term human resources, uh, which if you're in HR, don't be offended by that. What is he saying? He's saying to be an image bearer of God means you are more than a resource. But how often do we look at other people merely in terms of what they could do for us, what they could provide for us? But to be made in the image of God means we don't just look at people as resources to consume. We don't just look at hills and mountaintops and wonder what ore, what minerals, what could we take out of there and what could we build it and how could that increase our GDP or how could that increase profits? We don't just think about what we can take from something to consume and use for our own plans. 
we look at the world and everything in it around us and say, how can I care for that? How can I cultivate that? How can I help make that beautiful or preserve its beauty? Some translators render reign here as dominion. Again, it's oversight. Stewardship is the idea. Human beings have authority over the earth, just like a gardener has authority over his plants. This reality, we are gardeners tending to the earth, is embedded in our very name. Human beings here is the Hebrew word, I don't know how to say this really, ha'adam. When you see that, I think we got it up there. When you see that apostrophe in a, in a Hebrew transliteration, that means that it's a breathing note. You're supposed to go like a huh. So ha'adam, does that word look familiar to anybody? What's it kind of look like in English? Adam. Now check this out. If you keep reading in Genesis 2, the way God personally forms human beings is he takes earth, he takes dust and moves it together and then he breathes life into it. The word in Genesis 2, the stuff that we're made of is this word, hadama. The, what we are made of and what we are called sound almost identical, earth and man. It'd be like you were made of earth and instead of humans, you were called earthies. You know, it's, it sounds so familiar. There are dust, you'd be called dusty. What, however you want to make sense of that in your mind. The idea is God has embedded the stuff we are made from and our function in our very name. They sound almost identical. So our name and the source material for our very being sound almost alike. We are made from the earth. We are named after the earth. And we are commissioned with caring for the earth. In, in significant, profound ways, the earth is part of who we are. And God's image bearers, we care for the earth as a precious gift, as a divine responsibility to steward the earth and everything that is in it. There's something else wonderful about this. Rain, the word rain here is plural. It, it's not just one person who's going to be king and do all of this stuff. It's speaking both to Adam and to Eve both to men and to women. It speaks to our interdependence as human beings, as image bearers. Like God, all of our generative acts happen in the context of community as an overflow of relationships. Why it's so significant in the beginning that God says, let us do this. And so then he says, now you all together go and do this. The text makes a point to emphasize this too in verse 27. God created human beings, plural, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, plural. Male and female, he created them. See all the plurals there? He created you. He created you. You and you. He created you. And he has commissioned you to go and do this and be like him. So, let's summarize a little bit. First, God personally formed each and every one of us. We are not formed by the earth like the plants and the animals, but by God himself, wondrous. Second, God made us, men and women, in his image. Third, God made us, men and women, to be like God, which means we have incredible value, we have a shared mission where we need one another, both men and women. And God ends the creation of his masterpiece with one final detail that shows how truly unique we are. Verse 31, 
God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was very good. Very good. Up until now, in this refrain, this rhythmic refrain of creation in Genesis 1, they'll say, God said, let's make or let the earth produce. And so it was, and he saw, and it was good. Over and over, he'll say, it was good. It was good. But now that you and I are here, now that his image bearers are on the earth, and we are imbued with divine significance and purpose, God says, now it's very good. The most beautiful very ever spoken. That, that's perhaps the simplest summary I can give you. When you're trying to think of such a complex doctrine like Imago Dei, one that millions of pages have been written about, when you think of what it means to be made in the image of God, maybe all you need to think about is very good. We'll talk about what sin has done later in the series, but you have to see that no sin, no suffering, no mistakes or missteps change that you are made in the image of God. Nothing you've done, nothing you've been through, nothing you could do will change that core reality of who you are made in the image of God. In just a few chapters, remember, humans continue to sin, angels invade, giants fill the earth, and God destroys everything because they're so messed up. Y'all remember that story, Noah's flood, Genesis chapter 6 in your Bible? After that, Noah gets drunk off the ark, so that's a great start to the new creation. He gets drunk and passes out. All kinds of terrible things happen. Genesis is pretty rough after Genesis chapter 2. Um, in Genesis 9, even after all of this destruction, Genesis 9-6, it's still affirmed. Humans are still said to be made in the image of God. Even after the rebellion, even after the fall, even after the flood, even after the chaos we've brought about in the world, Genesis 9-6 affirms that every human being is still made in the image of God. Nothing alters God's benediction over you. Very good. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? You're very good, and you have a very good purpose. So I want to conclude with two invitations to every one of us. And again, if we receive these, <laughs> I think they will change all we are and all we do. The first invitation is to put on generative lenses. So imagine you have glasses on, and what I want those glasses to be for you is this doctrine of the Imago Dei. I want it to be ever before your eyes. Let it guide all of your interactions with your fellow image bearers. So practically, what does this mean? It means when you're interacting with someone, the first question you should ask when you interact with them, when you speak about anyone, whether that's digitally or in real life, before you talk to somebody, before you speak of somebody, ask the question, is this person I'm about to speak to or about made in the image of God? Question one, am I interacting with an image bearer of God? Y'all think about... I'm sorry, I'm a little, again, I'm a little wound up this morning. You think about some of the questions we've asked first in our interactions with one another over the last two years? Who did they vote for? Mask, pro-mask, anti-mask. Pro-vax, anti-vax. Homeschool, public school, that's a historic one at Sojourn. There's all kinds of questions that we ask first that dictate our interactions, woke or not woke. And then based on how we answer that for them, 
that drives the way we interact with them. Can I get one amen? You've seen it. You've seen it. And what has that brought about in God's church, not just here, but across America? Division, anger, meanness, loss of reputation. It's totally damaged our witness as Christians in this country because we're asking the wrong first question. So much of what we fought about in this past year has come from neglecting the reality that in our essence, we are all made in the image of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't disagree. I'm not asking you to stop disagreeing with one another. I'm begging you to disagree like Christians. That's it. I'm I'm begging you to disagree like the person across from you is made in the image of God. We need to go learn what this means. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We must see every human being in the womb or out of it as an image bearer of God. We must see every human first and foremost as a wonder more glorious than any vacation picture, more mysterious than any conspiracy theory, more delightful than any delicious meal. Generative people move towards their fellow image bearers of God with curiosity and wonder because we are deeply aware that every human is a living miracle, a wonder to behold, handcrafted by God. So put on generative lenses, allow a generative perspective to filter your view of the world. Second invitation, put on a generative lifestyle. If you are a Christian, your life is intended to be filled with Genesis moments, acts of creativity and beauty that bring life, that bring order, that bring delight, that bring inspiration. May we not be a people that look at the earth as a resource to consume. May we not look at other humans as a resource to be put to work to further our own ends. As God's image bearers, we look at the earth and especially God's image bearers as gifts to cultivate and wonders to behold, as opportunities to bring life and beauty. And this can be, if this sounds totally crazy to you and you're like, what in the world are we talking about? Start somewhere very small. What does your home smell like? When people come into your home, what are the smells present to them? Are they peaceful? Are they inspiring? When's the last time you dropped off cookies to a neighbor? You ever had cookies dropped off at your house randomly? Someone, if you haven't, I'm telling you, it's one of the happiest things that can happen in life. Someone just shows up and says, I just thought about you and here's some cookies. And you eat them and they're wonderful and they're delicious. These are small acts of beauty that inspire other people. Maybe you'll plant flowers in your front yard. And if you're like me, they'll probably die. So what do you do? We'll try again next year. We're going to try. We're going to look at the chaos of this world and say, where has God given me a little sliver of responsibility? And what can I do to make that more beautiful? Who can I work with to make that more beautiful? Where can I bring something wonderful into the world that might inspire somebody else to go and bring beauty into the world? This may mean big changes, like where you shop or who you vote for or what you care about, but putting on a generative lifestyle will always start small. So embrace your divine economy. 
reign over the earth, make it beautiful, cultivate it, care for it, be like God on this earth with whatever time you have left. Put on a generative lifestyle. If you can see your incredible status as an image bearer of God, you'll receive this divine responsibility with gratitude and enthusiasm. If you can see the wonder of every man and woman around you, you'll be drawn to them, and in them, you will find the presence of God. What will you do here? Who will you become here? Who will you inspire? What will you build? These are the questions asked by image bearers of God. And every week we receive a crystal clear picture of who God is in his essence and in his economy. We see the beauty of who he is and what he's done that we might be drawn to him and then he might transform us. And so we call our minds to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.